Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape. I'm Jonathan London, and this is your Geekscape pod for August 4th, 2012. I, I say that as if these things are even daily, but I realize they're barely even weekly. Uh, we're shooting in two weeks, uh, and we're getting ready for the fall, and the website's just kicking ass. Uh, we need to start cloning ourselves. We definitely need to clone Sean Madden. We need to clone uh, Scott Almaniana. We need to clone the entire Geekscape staff to keep uh, just to keep them going. Um, we've got Kamikaze coming up in mid-September. We have movies that we're watching. We have video games that we're playing, comic books that we're reading, things that we're covering, and uh, and then on top of that, we're shooting stuff. So, um, sorry about the lack of podcasts. Our good friend on Twitter, X Jamie X, straight edge kid like myself, was like, dude, where's my podcast? I was like, I'm sorry, man. I owe you guys some podcasts. Again, like I said, sometimes they're going to be very frequent. Sometimes they're not going to be frequent at all. And I haven't done an interview podcast in a while. I haven't had somebody sit down here on the Geekscape ca- couch and, and talk. Like, beyond Ian Kerner and William Bibiani doing Amazing Spider-Man and Dark Knight Rises. Uh... I'm putting out to people, I'll get back on that. I like sitting down and kind of getting into somebody's head for an hour and talking about their career, talking about what makes them tick, talking about their lives. I love that stuff. But till then, I just have to keep shooting you guys these Geekscape pods. Uh, I do intend to shoot, uh, record these things more often, and sometimes like stuff just gets away from me. But here we are. Let's not talk about the what-ifs. Let's talk about the here and now. We're going to be talking about, speaking of it, Marvel now. The new initiative for Marvel that they don't say is a DC reboot, like a 52 type deal, but we'll get to that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the Total Recall remake that came out and, again, all the great stuff that's up on the site and all the news. Uh, Where should we start? Let's start with Marvel now because I mentioned it. And last week I wanted to talk comic books, but we just didn't talk comic books. Uh, Marvel now is this new initiative. The big... The big stuff is that the the X-Men are going back to the original five X-Men of Cyclops, Beast, you know, Marvel Girl, Iceman, and Angel, and that's going to be a Brian Michael Bendis written book. That's cool and everything, but uh, let's see who's going to do some of the other stuff. It's slowly getting revealed. All this information is up on Geekscape.net. Um, there's a couple things I'm excited about. Um, we got Matt Fraction and, and uh, Mark Bagley on Fantastic Four. Mark Bagley wrote, uh, or Mark Bagley drew Spider-Man and Ultimate Spider-Man for a very long time. You guys should be familiar with Mark Bagley's artwork. Uh, having Matt Fraction on Fantastic Four, let's just see what that dynamic does. Uh, Mark Wade and Lionel Francis Yu are doing a Hulk book. I don't know if this is the Incredible Hulk book, but they're doing a Hulk book. That'll be pretty awesome, just based on Lionel Francis Yu's artwork. This is something I'm really excited about. We don't know the book yet, uh, but uh, it, it, supposedly it's extended. Like, that's the clue Marvel gives us, that it's an extended book. It's, a, it's a, the one-word clue that they give us. And it's Matt Fraction and Mike Alred. Mike Alred is one of my top five artists. I did a report on Mike Alred. I did, like, an art like, piece breakdown in one of my art classes in college. I did it on Mike Alred. Uh, piece. So Mike Alred is definitely one of my top five artists. I'm excited about that book. He could be drawing anything, and I'd probably uh, pick it up. Yeah, he he could even draw some of my least favorite characters. He could do a Gambit book, and I'd pick it up. Uh, he could do a Deadpool book, and I'd pick it up. Speaking of the Deadpool book, that was my fake segue. Brian Posehn, the comedian, and Tony Moore, another one of these top ten 
this guy's in the top 10. I don't know if he's top five, but Tony Moore, his work on Fear Agent is awesome. Uh, he had his brief stint on Walking Dead, but his stuff on Fear Agent is amazing. Go pick up the Fear Agent books. Tony Moore's artwork's amazing. And you're going to be like, whoa, I should definitely be picking up Deadpool because it'll look great. Brian Posehn, the comedian, is drawing it or is writing it. Uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. He's writing it, and that's got uh, my biggest Deadpool fan friend, um, Sean Madden, excited. And I was just like, hey, have you read Brian Posehn's comics? Brian Posehn has done a couple of indie books, uh, you know, like one-offs and this and that. They're, they're funny, you know. They're, they're what they got to be, but let's see how he handles a character arc. You know what I'm saying? I think you know what I'm saying. Uh, one-off issues are great. It's fun to be funny, but let's see. Let's see if we can add depth to a character that I kind of accuse of being, you know, one note. Um, that's really that's really the make or break here. Is can Brian Poussein add depth to a character that is? I don't. I think he's kind of dismissible. Uh, more annoying than funny for the most part. That's kind of been the history of Deadpool for anybody who is one of the Deadpool detractors. Like, it's more annoying than funny. And uh, we're not going to read that beyond an issue. So, best of luck to everybody. <sighs> Let's see. Uh, oh, this is kind of crazy. Um, we were talking Dark Knight Rises, of course, on the website. We talked about that for like a solid two weeks. Now there are pictures. Uh, now there's news. Well, there's <laughs> this is what I was going to tell you guys. There's pictures up on the website where somebody had spent like $2 million or something to make a Batman Batcave-themed um, like uh, uh, like movie screening room. So it was $2 million. You have like uh, bat seats. It looks like a bat cave, and you can watch your favorite Christopher Nolan Batman movies in it. Uh, It's a a bit extreme, but if you're a Batman fan, I think that word is awesome. So go out there and research that. Maybe with just, you know, just $2 million, get yourself a little Batman screening room. It ain't no thing. Uh, this is what I wanted to mention. Uh, Dark Knight Rises is over and out. We uh, know that Christopher Nolan intended to end the series uh, in three movies. And now we have these rumors coming in that Batman is going to reboot the movie for 2016. Um, that's the rumor. That's the rumor date. If they can get a JLA movie out for 2015, that JLA movie would lead to, uh, would not only be a reintroduction of the new JLA DC film universe Batman, but uh, it would lead to a, a, a Batman movie the following year, and it would be like year two of Batman being Batman. The culmination of year two would probably be whatever the heck he does in this JLA movie, like the formation of the JLA. There have been additional reshoots, this is what I'm hearing, additional reshoots on Man of Steel, Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, in order to include a larger DC universe. That's that's the rumor that we're hearing. Um, I guess Warner Brothers went back, Legendary went back and started adding or shooting additional pieces for uh, next summer's Man of Steel so they can include hints or allusions or maybe just straight-up confirmations and set up for uh, an expanded DC film universe leading up to a JLA movie that we all know is going to happen. So that's exciting, I think, as long as it doesn't do what like Iron Man 2 did where they were really trying to put in the Avengers stuff and all it did was fatten Iron Man 2 and kind of unfocus the plot of the movie. And you ended up with sort of an unfocused movie that was a little bit long and weird. And it was, it was Iron Man 2. I could complain about Iron Man 2, but you know what? It, I liked it. 
Um, I, I, it's one of those movies that you buy on Blu-ray and you just never watch because you're like, ah, I remember the I remember the time in the theater being pretty enjoyable. So you pick it up on Blu-ray and like three years later you realize, damn, I haven't even watched this thing again. But why why are you going to watch Iron Man two on Blu-ray? You're waiting for your uh, Cosmic Cube Tesseract edition of the entire Phase One Marvel Universe movies. That's what I'm doing. You know I'm going to put that Iron Man two up to the local like. I'm going to bring it over to the local Blockbuster and try and sell it used so I can get my Tesseract uh, set. Anyway, um, that's what we got going on here. Speaking of continuations in the Batman universe, Paul Dini put this up on Twitter that Rocksteady Games, the people who had Paul Dini write and script the uh, Arkham Asylum and then Arkham City games, he's not returning for the next Rocksteady game, which is rumored to be a 1950s Silver Age JLA game. Super excited about that. I think that game will be awesome. Paul Dini, I don't think gets enough credit for the work that he's done in the Batman universe. Obviously, the dude was a major part of the Batman animated series um, in the early 90s. I think that his work on the Batman at Arkham Asylum and Arkham City games are actually pretty clean. Um, I know that some fans think that Arkham City's plot was a mess, the scripting was a little bit whatever... Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of problem with it. I think that Rocksteady Studios' game design is so strong and the game is so much fun to play that, I mean, having a really good writer like Paul Dini on it who really knows the character like 20 years deep is just, it, it's just it's just frosting on the ice. Uh, what's, the, what's the phrase, people? I'm having a tr- tough time today. I'm frazzled. Uh, just icing on the cake. There it is. Icing on the cake, toppings on the ice, ice cream, maybe, maybe toppings on the frosting on the cake with a cherry on top and a hot woman serving it to you. That's what that is. So it's a shame. Paul Dini supposedly not coming back for the next Rocksteady Studios game. Let's see what changes. Let's see what changes. All right. Um, I took my wife to go see Total Recall last night. This is the Len Weissman uh, remake of the uh, uh, 1990 movie that starred Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, it was directed by Paul Verhoeven. Did it need a remake? No. <laughs> this is based on the Philip K. Dick short story. And supposedly, uh, I mean, you know, Sony was doing all the, all the great uh, fan service when they were talking about this uh, Len Weissman remake of Total Recall. They were saying that it was going to be more, you know, more loyal, more faithful than the Paul Verhoeven Total Recall to the original Philip K. Dick story. If that is true, I've got to go read that Philip K. Dick story because it must be boring. I really was looking forward to this Total Recall remake. Anything sci-fi, genre hey, I run Geekscape. I'm looking forward to it. Sadly, it's not a very good movie. Um, it's a long movie that uh, feels artificially long. A lot of people have accused this movie of being just one long chase sequence. I don't think, I don't think that's a. I I I, I think that um, that is an unfair accusation. Here's what it is. Yes, it is one long chase sequence. The new Total Recall movie with Colin Farrell and Kate Beckinsale and um, and and everybody else is uh, is one long chase sequence and yeah it, it, Brian Cranston's great in it um, every, every, everything looks great in it and it is one long chase sequence but I don't think that that is why you hate it because you look at the Bourne Identity movies 
which is also someone kind of reawakening to find out that they're somebody other than, than who they are, they carried the Bourne movies through three straight movies as a nonstop chase sequence. That's not why people are, are not enjoying this movie. You're, enjoy, you're not enjoying this nonstop chase sequence of a film because it's, it, it's an artificial chase sequence. It's, it's a redundant chase sequence. It's a chase sequence that gets interrupted by things that are... They're put in there for style, not really for substance. So if, it was a, if, if we were running with the character, I think that we would enjoy it. But look at the... It does a couple things, really, that, uh, that work against it. And I'll, I'll keep comparing it to Bourne, for instance. When we first see Jason Bourne in The Bourne Identity, um, he's a blank slate, right? And he has to slowly kind of figure out who he is and as his memory comes back, pieced together, that he's uh, Jason Bourne. And I'm talking about the first movie. In this movie, the first scene is an action sequence where you see Colin Farrell and, and Jennifer Beale, or Jessica Beale. Wait, I'm getting them confused. I know one is Flashdance. I know the other one was in Chuck and Larry. <laughs> <laughs> so you have Miss Beale and, uh, and, and uh, Colin Farrell, and they're in this action sequence. And it goes badly, but it turns out that it's a nightmare that wakes Colin Farrell up. And you don't really get a context to the uh, action sequence. You know it's intense. You know that there's a connection between him and Miss Beale, as I will call her, throughout the, uh, throughout the memory lapse. Um, it, Jessica. It's Jessica Beale. And you know that they have this connection, and it wakes up Colin Farrell from his nightmare, and that's all fine and dandy. From that point on, you don't learn a lot about the character. You know that he has a little bit of an angst about his position in life. You know that he aspires to something more. Uh, He has a feeling that there is more for him, but uh, you don't really get a drive that's anything focused, right? Um, you don't really get anything that he, that he wants. And then again, he's married to uh, Kate Beckinsale, so what else could the guy possibly want? It's not unlike Sharon Stone in the first uh, uh, one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, he's, he's got an amazingly attractive, loving wife. But the plot's got to continue, and he's got to go to Recall. This is where I think that, that this version of Total Recall has a scope problem. Yes, it looks incredible. The set pieces are amazing. There's two places on Earth. You never go to Mars like you do in the Paul Verhoeven version. Earth in the future has been obliterated by nuclear devastation and this and that in World War 19. And you've got uh, Australia, which is a poor colony of workers, and you've got the United Country as federations of future Britain something where the rich people live. And the colonists travel through the center of the earth to work in this wealthy place over in what used to be Europe and Britain. With me? With me. Great. So there's already sort of like a, uh, a, a chance to talk about, you know, um, like sort of a, a, like a, a class system where there's poor people and they're being shut down and then they're fighting for a voice or they're fighting for maybe independence versus this British thing. The problem is when you actually see both of these places, they don't feel all that different. One is dirty and full of Asian people. The the other one is basically just really busy too. Um, Everything feels like um, Blade Runner. You know, especially the colony feels very much like Blade Runner. Um, The British wealthy place feels like Blade Runner when the sun's up. So that's a little weird. Um, On top of that, the chase sequences, they don't really feel like they cover any ground. There are a lot of chase sequences in this movie, but it doesn't seem like you're really going anywhere because everything that the characters are running past looks exactly what they just 
ran through. So, for instance, in an uh, early chase sequence where Kate Beckinsale is chasing Colin Farrell, they're running through this um, colony kind of hovel, right? And they're smashing through people's you know, houses and they're smashing through windows. And there's so much, there's only so much you can do with that stuff um, when it, until it all starts feeling the same. For, in, on top of that, whenever these fight sequences come to a head, and maybe you have a sequence where characters are at a standoff and, the, and there's like a gun between them, or um, they're trying to a- ask themselves questions of like, like, I'm telling the truth. No, you're telling the truth. No, I'm telling the truth. I am the truth. I am the law. I am the truth. I'm the law. No, no, listen to him. Don't listen to her. Don't listen to her. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. And you're getting these standoffs, right? Those standoffs feel like they're 20 minutes long. There's one, with, uh, th- there's one that happens when he first kind of meets Jessica Biel, uh, and it happens between him and Bokeem Woodbine, and it's the three of them. And Bakeem Woodbine's like, hey, I'm your buddy. You're back at recall. You're safe. And Bakeem Woodbine is like, don't trust Jessica Biel. And Jessica Biel's like, no, no, no. I'm your real girlfriend. You're really a resistance fighter. Trust me and not your buddy. It really feels like it's a 20-minute scene. It doesn't really go anywhere. Um, the, the, the emphasis in the scene is on uh, the two characters that aren't your main character. That's Colin Farrell. And at no point during the movie do you actually feel like you're with Colin Farrell's character. You feel like you know more about the other characters. You feel like he's a blank slate waiting to get filled. And so again, you're not really complaining that it's a nonstop chase sequence. What you're complaining is that you're stuck in a, watching a chase sequence in which you're not in the uh, guy you're supposed to be rooting for shoes. Does that make sense, audience? Uh, several times throughout the movie, there's missed opportunities to get to know Colin Farrell's character more so that when we're off to the races, we're rooting for him you're just really watching something follow down a line, right? Which is tough, you know? With a movie with this much stuff going on in it, looks great, uh, great production value. Just, Kate Beckinsale just owns this movie. She's just kicking ass. She's great to watch. I do love her. Um, it, it, it just feels like style over substance in, in, the, in the worst way possible. Um, so it makes it a boring film. It's impressive, on a lot of a lot of places it's an impressive movie on its scale some of the performances the action but if you're not feeling it why spend the money does that make sense it just feels like Paul Verhoeven really accomplished a lot more with a lot less by getting the character and let's face it Colin Farrell he can act circles around Arnold Schwarzenegger it's not on him it's on the story in the, the treatment of the story right um this really felt like a missed opportunity. So I left the theater not just bored, but also a bit sad. Because I like Len Weissman. I like that first Underworld movie. I'm the guy who likes Die Hard 4. <laughs> the, the, I mean, Len Weissman, I think, is talented. Let's hope that he does this Gears of War movie, and it turns out pretty good. Um, but this, this wasn't uh, a shining example of what all, everybody involved can do. Um, in closing, Jessica Biel is the good girl in this movie. Kate Beckinsale is the bad girl. I think Jessica Biel is gorgeous, but next to Kate Beckinsale, it's a tough one. (laughs) That's a tough one for her to win. Kate Beckinsale is stunning. Like, Kate Beckinsale, every frame of film that she's on, you're like, are we even even both human beings? (laughs) She looks that different than anyone you've ever seen in your entire life. She's just, like, breathtakingly gorgeous. Uh, Jessica Biel is... Very pretty and very beautiful and wonderful 
But man, Kate Beckinsale again. She wants to be in this movie. It feels like like she she knows how to do it, and she's kicking ass, and, and seems like she's having fun in this film. Brian Cranston, same thing. We all love Brian Cranston, uh, but not a whole lot of positives here. Um, filmmakers, I don't know. You want to tell your stories, find the heart, and, and and really develop the heart of your film. Make sure that before the chase starts, your audience is in the shoes of your main character who's about to get start running. Like that that's really that's really what this movie lacked, right? We just we just didn't care from the get-go from minute number 1. Maybe it was that first action sequence, maybe it was the you know that was the actual dream before he woke up. Maybe it was the handful of scenes that that that, that were afterwards where you're kind of getting introduced to the world, but nothing made the world feel bigger. Nothing made the 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 nothing made the world feel like it was populated by more than extras and nothing really made you feel for the guy that you were supposed to be watching in this world um there is a lot of service to the original paul verhoeven movie the three-breasted lady um a sequence like like the arnold schwarzenegger one where he has to pull the tracking device out of his head but those sequences didn't they, they they didn't seem like they were important. They were shot and they were part of the script and part of the movie for so quickly that they kind of felt like they would just needed to be in the movie for fan service and not necessarily to move anything forward. Um, it was almost like it was dismissive of of the movie that came before. If you're gonna do that, just don't just don't just don't even do those plot points. You know, don't even address it. Um, I think that's the review. <laughs> I can keep going. You guys want to keep going? We can keep going. Go ahead and leave me an email, jonathanandgeekscape.net. It's very easy to convince me to talk about movies. Um, by that token, I, uh, I think my highlight of the week was I had a full classroom of students. I was subbing for another teacher at film school yesterday, and, uh, and they were doing film noir, and I had a, oh, a bunch of new students that I'd never met before, and I went in there. And I had a four-hour class, two of the hour, an hour and a half. Uh, we were going to watch *Double Indemnity*, so I had to lecture a little bit about film noir. Had to lecture a little bit about uh, before that the prior movie *Citizen Kane* and Orson Welles. And I went in there and I did my lecture, did it, did my talk, did my talk. Really got them excited for film noir. Talked about German expressionism. Talked about the influence of Europeans, uh, you know, moving to the United States and entering the Hollywood system. As things in Europe started to deteriorate uh, towards the uh, onset of World War II, and how all those European influences entered Hollywood and led to, you know, film noir, which is amazing. And then I showed them uh, *Double Indemnity*, you know, Billy Wilder's movie, which is just perfect. And I watched it again yesterday, and it's perfect. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe that movie. You're watching it, you're like, man, this movie was made before my dad was born. This is this is an this is an old movie using old techniques using things that today we take for granted, and they just felt fresh. Isn't that crazy? A movie that's over sixty years old just feels fresh, and it's not me. I'm not talking as me, the film guy who appreciates the film stuff. This class of nineteen twenty year olds clapped afterwards. They were hanging on every moment of this movie. And they're 19 and 20-year-olds. They don't even know if they're going to stick with this major. But they were loving what they were saying. Double Indemnity is such a no-perfect movie. And Billy Wilder, you look at his career, and the dude just did all sorts of movies. The guy just had a full grasp of the language of film. It was an, it's just really humbling. That was the highlight of my week. 
showing those kids dull indemnity and getting them really excited. And they were like, holy shit, <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. Um, that was great. Definitely recommended. Go out and look for that movie. It's got an amazing, I think it's got a Blu-ray, but it got a great uh, DVD two-pack. Um, let's close it up with some news. Check out Geekscape.net. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation celebrates 25 years this week. Uh, Eric Diaz put up a great article remembering and talking about Star Trek The Next Generation, the first season, and what it meant to him. Um, and this is the biggest news of the week, I think. Well, besides The Hobbit being a trilogy. Love it. Yeah, I know you guys may not. And uh, the confirmation of X-Men First Class 2 being X-Men Days of Futures Past. I totally, you know, we talked about it last week uh, or last episode. Um, this is the big news. Chris Eccleston, uh, the uh, Doctor Who actor, is uh, Malekith in Thor 2, The Dark World. We had been talking about how since it's Thor 2 and it's The Dark World, we're going to be dealing with like the Dark Elves and this and that. Um, now it's confirmed, of course. Chris Eccleston is playing Malekith, who's like the leader of the Dark Elves, and he's a bad motherfucker. Um, and he's an awesome actor. <laughs> we, we, we don't know that by him playing Destro in the first G.I. Joe movie, but you Doctor Who fans, you love your actors, and, you know, we got to trust the BBC America and BBC actors because they're coming out and they're kicking ass. Um, that's big news. I think that's exciting and, uh, and all that. All right, that's the episode. I love talking to you guys. Email me if you want to talk more Total Recall. Um, I'm shooting in two weeks, so we'll see what else I can review. Uh, we're literally shooting the weekend of Expendables 2 and Paranorman, two movies that I really want to talk about with you guys, so it may be a little late uh, when I finally get to it. Um, check out Geekscape.net. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Geekscape.net. Just search for Geekscape. You'll find us. You'll befriend us. Follow me on Twitter, at Jonathan London. Check out the daily, sometimes hourly content we throw up on our website. And this episode, I'm dedicating it to you, Jamie. Sorry you had to wait for this podcast. Jamie, my straight-edge brother, um, keep it up. i got to tell you, a friend of mine put up a picture on Facebook of a bunch of us straight-edgers from Austin, Texas. You know, X's on the hands, hanging out in the bag of jeans, <laughs> and, uh, and like the straight edge kids. And I just posted, I was like, how many of these kids are still straight edge? <laughs> like, how many of them stayed straight edge? <laughs> I, I can raise my hand, but you fools can't. Uh, maybe they can, I don't know. Uh, we got a couple of replies that people had broken the X. <sighs> the shame. Love you guys. See you next episode. It could be in a few days. Hopefully it won't be next week. Peace.